Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have my friend Cody Smith from Utah. He just got done with the Utah Ponsagant Archery Deer Tag and killed a whopper of a deer, and I'm anxious to talk to him about it. Cody, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Jay. Thanks for having me on and excited to talk to you. Yeah, for sure. I, I hadn't talked to you in a while, and honestly, I didn't even know you had. Um, I had seen over the summer you were doing quite a bit of scouting, but I, I really didn't um, you know, put two and two together that you had a Ponsagant tag. Um, before we get into that, um, why don't we get a little background on like uh, where you live, kind of where you've grown up, and um, a little bit about yourself so people can, can hear that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm I live in Cedar City, Utah. Um, grew up here in Cedar. My wife's fifth generation, so I'm never leaving, basically. <laughs> uh, which is I'm I'm okay with that. You know, her family lives here, and that allows me, you know, where we have so much family so close, allows me to get away with uh, a, maybe a little more hunting than than the average guy, or maybe somebody should be able to. Yeah. So um, yeah, living live in cedar and and um have a little you know startup company in the, in the software industry spent a little bit of time in the hunting industry um you know there go hunt with my buddies over there and and uh now i'm in uh, the medical industry well, that's awesome yeah i know you've been uh i follow you and you've been traveling and i like how you post on instagram like what cities you're in and you're just traveling all over and working and i'm glad things are going well for you um, so back in the spring, you found out that you were successful and you drew up a, a premium tag, a limited entry archery, uh, Ponsagant tag. Did you have a bunch of points or was this a, a expected tag that you thought you were going to get or how, how did that shake out? No, it was so wild. So, um, me and a couple good friends are headed to Alaska in November and, uh, typically I put in for the Dolores Triangle, um, late season archery hunt and that actually runs in november so with us going to alaska i thought well i don't have any chance in hell of drawing the poncegon tag but it's an hour and a half from my house i'll just put in for that and if i did draw it then it would be easy to scout and and my my the, the percentage of me drawing that tag is a, like it's it's a one percent chance if you look at you know the draws and so I just, when I drew that tag, I was actually blown away. I mean, I, I, uh, I have a close group of friends that I run with that they're all phenomenal hunters. And I, you know, sent them out a text and I said, Oh, I, my car just got charged for a hundred I think it was $162 or $168. I'm so excited. I drew my dedicated hunter tag for Utah, which is what I thought I was going to draw. And immediately, you know, I was in a text group with um, Steve Barker and Garth Jensen and Trell Kreitzer. And immediately, they all three responded back and said, $168 is limited entry. What did you put in for? <laughs> and, like, like, I looked at it, and then I just got the sweat. I'm like, there's no way. I just threw the punch to God. <laughs> That's incredible. That was Pretty fun. So, Pretty fun. So now you've got the tag in your pocket. You're all um, fired up. Um, at what point did you start your scouting? Did you start setting trail cameras? And talk a little bit about how that regimen 
uh, you know, played out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the last time, you know, even though the Pontagon is so close to where I live, uh, there's just not a lot of tags on the unit. So, you know, opportunities to go there are, are few and far between. Uh, the last time I was on the unit, you know, actually spent a substantial amount of time was 2012 when um, my good friend Garth had the tag. And so, you know, immediately I, I started making a few phone calls, called um, a couple of the biologists over there. And, and with me being so close, it was really easy to do a lot of research. And then I started scouting. I started scouting with trail cameras in June. So about the first week of June is when I made the first trip over there. And, and when I went in June, it really wasn't necessarily looking for deer. It was just getting reacquainted with the unit and the changes that have happened on the unit in the last three to four years. Which are what? What changes? So, so you know, when I was there in 2012, you know, the unit, if you've never been to the Pontagon, it's, it's a really interesting unit. Um, you know, in 2016, the biggest archery deer shot off the Pontagon, which it, it was an absolute giant. It was 240 inches. Um, shot by uh, an 18-year-old kid that lives there in Canab, last name Glover. Um, he shot that off one of the main roads. Um, and the Pontagon traditionally is just not known. It's just not real glass-friendly. I mean, you're not going to sit on a, a peak in glass for days, and especially in 2012. Since then, um, the BLM has worked heavily with the uh, Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. And they've gone in and done what, um, you know, everybody has a different word for it. I call it, call it a mastication um, or a lop and scatter, where they've gone in and just completely um, pulverized the cedar and juniper trees in these big tracts of, of area or land and then reseeded with um, what they call they, they refer to it as a four-way, but basically it's an alfalfa, bitter brush, um, mix, and these little mastications throughout the unit are just thriving, and it's, you know, it's just a magnet for, for deer. So in other words, the, the changes have been very positive for the deer herd. Yeah. I mean, it was a completely different experience from uh, when I was there in 2012, and, and you you know, it's just, you can see that, that the deer is thriving. It, all, all of wildlife is thriving. I mean, I saw more coyotes and rabbits and elk and deer um, in these areas, and, and you can just tell that, you know, kudos to the BLM and the uh, Division of Wildlife for making this happen. So you're familiarizing yourself with the unit, checking out some of the changes and do you have specific areas that you were going to target with your trail cameras from prior knowledge? Or did you, you know, just kind of carpet bomb and, and just put them out randomly? Or did you kind of have a strategy, uh, you, you know, th that you were trying to follow through with um, going into where you were going to do your scouting? Yeah, so originally I was just shotgun blasting cameras all throughout the unit. Um you know, I'm, I'm a father of four, and then my son was, I actually coached his all-star Little League team this summer. So not only did I have this, this 
awesome tag burning a hole in my pocket, but, you know, I also had responsibilities outside of just work and family and, and Little League. So I would try, my goal was um, to be able to spend 12 scouting hours a week on the Pontagon from June 1st till, till the day that my hunt started. When I mean 12 hours, that could be like a, an evening and a morning or a morning and evening, um, basically a day where I was there learning something, you know, looking for bucks. Um, and I started really, I started on the north end of the unit and started throwing up trail cameras and just moved my way throughout the, you know, all the way to the south end of the unit. And, um, you know, not only was I putting up trail cameras, but I was trying to understand how I was going to hunt this unit. Cause it's a little bit, you know, guys that have hunted it, um, will understand, but it's a, it's a unique unit in that, you know, there's, there's phenomenal deer on this unit. I, I personally, you know, after spending the time I did this year would put the Pontagon right now against it. To me, it's the number one unit in the West. Um, even but over the Henrys? Even over the Henrys. Uh, you know, the deer that I found, I'll tell you this, the, the buck I shot wasn't the highest scoring buck that I was chasing. Wow. And he's a, he's a phenomenal buck. Um, so, yeah, right now with what they've done and the, the accessibility, you know, the ability where you can access the unit and the quality of bucks that are on the unit, and the habitat improvement that 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 has taken place. I mean, I just I think it's a phenomenal area. So I, you know, really started scouting with trail cameras, but then started to figure out, okay, these are my strengths as a hunter. These are the areas that if I can find the buck that I'm looking for, this is really where I could make something happen. And started to you know kind of. Um, eliminate areas that I wasn't going to hunt and look at areas that I was going to hunt. Gotcha. And, and what was that? Did you pick those areas because you thought big deer were going to be there or more that you thought big deer were there and maybe there was a chance that you had them to yourself? Yeah. So emphasis on that very last part, I had them to myself. Um, I'm, I grew up in Utah and if, if we're good at anything in Utah, it's, it, we're good at hunting in big crowds because that's <laughs> what we're used to. Yeah. Uh, but I really wanted to target a buck or, or a couple of bucks, maybe create a hit list. And I really wanted to minimize um, the, the, the interaction and possibility of other hunters being there. So I started to look for high density, high density of deer in off the beaten path areas and um that's you know one of that's really what i ended up hunting um is areas with you know some good quality bucks that were off the beaten path um, maybe a little bit um less known um due to the proximity to public land and, and private land and um that's really you know what i was looking for good stuff so as as the data started coming in from the cameras and you started getting pictures of bucks, was it real evident early on that the quality was going to be really good or was it just good bucks and then all of a sudden the last couple weeks um, before they before they hardened up um, or 
I guess they're still in development before before the season started. Excuse me. Um, did they just blow up and you realize that you know oh this is going to be an unbelievable year? Yeah. So it was. It, it, it's kind of interesting. You know, there was a couple turning points within the scouting season. Um, you know, right around the end of June, I started to get some good, some decent trail camera pictures, but I didn't do real well or as well as I had hoped with my trail cameras. I really found a lot of my deer just out, you know, grinding, glassing, um, traveling country. Um, but I remember I, I took video of a buck, um, that I was just so excited about. I was just pumped. And he was he was heavy. He was a big four point. I knew he was going to go over two hundred inches, and that was at you know the end of June. I could tell he was going to be phenomenal. And I you know I was actually um, Ryan Hatch over at Muley Crazy. I was talking to him, and I I was so particular on who I would show photos to, um, just because I knew this was a ta- you know once in a lifetime tag, and I just didn't want you know there's so much on the Pentagon. There's so much money involved with outfitters and tags that are sold. Um, you know, they sell a number of tags on that unit every year. And I think the average sell price this last year for 2017 was like $30,000. So I was real quiet on, on who I would show and what I would show. Anyways, I showed Ryan Hatch this, uh, this picture of this four point. And he goes, yeah, that's good, but you need to keep looking. And in my head, I go, you just you just kicked my trike in the ditch, you yeah. know. I, I I thought I had something special. Um, you know, Ryan has a he he understands the deer in that area maybe better than anyone. Um, and and at the same time, he kicked my trike in the ditch. Um, it made me think, okay, what am I missing? Where where um, where what what am I missing between you know two hundred inches to me is a phenomenal deer, but there's the next class up, which is, you know, that 215, 220, 230 buck that there's a couple of them on the unit. And how am I going to find one of those? Um, and that's when I really started. Um, I, you know, that was probably about the first of July. And I really started to focus on a couple of particular areas. And I think it was July 2nd, I went into an area and uh, just a little tiny piece of public land and videoed two mega bucks um, in that area. Uh, one completely different deer. Uh, one was actually the one that I ended up harvesting, which, you know, he's seven by seven, eight scoreable points on each side. But the other one is uh, he's a five by nine, but just super massive and, and just a phenomenal deer. And that's when I started to understand what it was going to take to, you know, to find these deer and then eventually harvest the deer (laughs) on the unit. At that point, though, early July, now you've put your eyes on on two other big deer, one of them which you ended up harvesting. So now you've seen three pretty big deer and now you're just fully in, you know, on fire and fully just fi- fired up about the tag and about your opportunity. Um, so now as the season's getting closer and closer, how did you hone in or decide, you know, without giving away your position to anyone else that's out looking, 
Um, did you pay particular attention to, you know, how you went about yourself after you had already spotted a couple really good deer or did you just yeah. do business as normal? No. So that was when, I mean, the, the flip switched that, at that moment for me. Um, I kept, I have a camp trailer, um, that was over on the unit and I kept that on the North end. Um, I got, I, it was almost, I, I got a little bit. <laughs> Uh, a psychotic about how I went about everything. Um, I would, if I was walking into an area, especially where the area where I ended up hunting, um, I moved. So, so let me, let me, let me go back. I moved everything that I had on the unit into this area. So when I say truck, you know, I moved everything. I moved all my truck cameras, all my focus, um, everything went into this one area. And my goal was, okay, I've got two shooter bucks. Honestly, I had in that area, to be frank, I had six shooter bucks that, that I felt I would tag any one of these deer. Um, three of them being absolutely phenomenal deer. Um, and the other three all being over 200 inches. And I moved all my efforts into this area, but then I tried to, I knew there were, there's some big name outfitters that were in the area also. And, um, they knew about the deer. And so what I did is July, you know, after that July 2nd trip, when I, I filmed those two really big bucks, um, I then started to minimize any sign that I was even there. So if I was going in, um, to check a camera, I would go a mile and a half out of my way so that my footprints couldn't. They couldn't, no one knew I was there, basically. Um, I would go way out of my way to make sure I was glassing from areas that um, nobody else was glassing from. I was spending time. I just wanted, I just didn't want to have to deal with other hunters. And I knew the caliber of bucks that I had found would bring in um, really good hunters with really good outfitters. So I was just minimizing everything. In so doing, I literally did not share any of my scouting footage, trail camera photos with anybody outside of a really small circle of people. Um, yeah. I would have friends. And I think you know, that's good advice for people to li listening is that, you know, you cast that net out there pretty broad and, you know, you get people following you around and, and you just draw attention to yourself. So, I, I, I mean, I think that's good, good advice and I'm glad you... Yeah, I'm glad you stuck to that. Yeah, even with, you know, with social media, and, and I, I'm i a fan of social media, and I love to share. I have so much footage uh, from the Consagant this year that I eventually will sell, share on social media. But I didn't post trail camera pictures. I didn't do, it was almost as if I didn't exist over there. And that's that's how I wanted it. I just wanted, I was so focused on, you know, an opportunity like this to kill or to chase or to harvest a, a giant mule deer, are, they're just few and far between um, and, and for me. And so I just wanted to, you know, I wasn't worried about social media. I wasn't worried about texting all my buddies uh, a picture of the deer I found. All I was worried about is, you know, opening day and where I was going to be and how I was going to um, pattern these deer. And, and that's, that's what I did all of July. I mean, all of July with the limited amount of time that I had to go over, 
I spent the entire time um, moving trail cameras, um, trying to get a pattern. The area I was hunting was, it's not, you can't glass a lot of it. Um, so I was relying heavily on trail cameras to pick up um, routes and patterns of the deer. Um, and did that, you that, end up getting quite a bit of, once you kind of refocused your attention there where you'd seen the big deer, a couple of the big deer, were you able to then start getting quite a bit of data um, and, and do you have quite a bit of photos of the different bucks? Yeah, so the deer that, that I ended up harvesting, I bet I have oh, fifteen to 1,800 trail camera photos of him um, oh, wow. from a couple of different cameras that I had set up. The big heavy buck, I never could, um, I never could pattern him. Um, a lot of it, now you got to remember when, when I focused in on this area, um, one of the reasons that I chose it is because it, it was a little piece of public land, um, right up against, um, some private, um, there on the Pontagon, there's a big CWMU, uh, cooperative wildlife management unit. And it was, you know, right up against that, that not a lot of hunters knew about and not a lot of hunters were willing to hunt because you got to remember these deer spent a lot of time on private land. And so as a public land hunter, I was waiting for them to make the, the, the cycle or the route, you know, the route over into the public land so that I could even hunt them, which in and of itself can be <laughs> extremely oh, nerve wracking and frustrating. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Um, and then I want to get into the actual um, write-up before the hunt. But before we do that, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, uh, GoHunt.com. Cody, like you had mentioned, uh, you used to actually work with those guys, and they're great guys. And they're actually doing a, a 30-day free trial. Um, if you use the URL, uh, www.GoHunt.com forward slash Scott. Uh, you can go on there, follow the prompts, and for 30 days you can get a free trial of the Go Hunt Insider. And as you know, Cody, it's a extremely valuable resource, and you can study draw odds and statistics across all the western states for all the different animals and really dive into each unit. So I want to encourage the listeners to check out the free trial. And also Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, uh, make sure to go to Kuyu.com and the uh, Kuyu Mobile Showroom uh, is traveling around the country and they're going to be in uh, Dallas, Texas, August 24th through the 26th, Houston, Texas, August 31st through September 2nd, Lubbock, Albuquerque, Grand Junction, Salt Lake City, Cedar City, Las Vegas, Phoenix, October 19th through the 22nd. Uh, San Diego, Los Angeles, and then finishing up in Reno, Nevada, November 9th. Uh, I want to thank uh, Kuyu for their sponsorship. Also, Phonescope.com, uh, Cheston Davis and his group uh, right there out of Beaver, Utah. If you use the JSCOT16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount uh, there uh, through Phonescope.com. Also, Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority, 1-800-291-8065, or by going to Outdoorsman's.com, you can use the J. Scott promo code and get a 10% discount. Also want to remind the listeners that they can send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com if they have any questions or comments about the podcast or anything they want to run by me. Uh, 
or direct message on Instagram at jscottoutdoors. So, Cody, now the season's getting close. You're probably going crazy, but you've got, you know, five or six deer that you'd be willing to put your tag on. Walk me through, like, the day or two before the season and then, you know, opening morning and then, you know, through the hunt, kind of how it all unfolded. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so maybe I'll get back to like a week before the hunt. So a week before the hunt, maybe 10 days, I go over um, and there's two target areas where deer are traveling, where I've got deer, um, where I feel like I can hunt. And I, I've decided due to the 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 topography and and everything that's going on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hunt out of a blind, which is the first time I've ever done this before. And so I go over and I set up a blind in my, what, what I called my plan B blind, which had two 200 inch class bucks hitting, you know, in that area, walking by it and, and traveling. And this is just public land and this is how it goes. I get a text three days later from a, a friend, a guide, an outfitter there in, in, uh, on the Pontagon, Dave Verosco. And he goes, Hey, is this your blind set up 300 yards from my blind? <laughs> uh, didn't even know that he was there. He didn't know I was there. Um, it was just, it was, that's just public land and that's, that's how it goes. And, 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 you know, with these big bucks, kind of the competition there is. Anyways, I went in, I set that blind up. I set up, uh, my other blind where the two buck, the two big bucks had been. Um, and at this time, the heavy non-typical is what I called him was pretty much non-existent. I didn't know where he moved off to. I didn't know if he was on the private land or on the public land. Um, but I did have what I referred to as the inline buck, um, traveling through. And what he would do is he would try, he would be in the area for three days and then he went on to the private for three days and then back on the public for three days and, and kind of did this, um, all throughout the first two weeks of August. So. I, I literally got super detailed and I would write down every time that that deer went by one of my cell cameras and where he was at, where he came from and which direction he was moving, and what bucks he, he was traveling with. Um, just so that I knew if I saw this four point, this 184 point with the cheater off the right side, that the inline buck was with that buck 85% of the time. So as I'm so getting in already, other words, you're, you're taking data and you're going to the next level of interpreting the data and and not just making a mental note, but you're writing down like these are the bucks he's traveling with, these are the days, these are the times he's traveling. So you're in other words, you're pinching down and kind of streamlining, uh, you know, your data so that it's tr you know working in your own behalf of if you see a buck, you know, hey, that other buck's probably right here. Come and get ready. Exactly. Exactly. I wrote down, I wrote down what days there was heavy rain. Um, because when it rained real heavy, he wouldn't be in on the public land side at all. So if it rained, there was really no reason for me to be hunting in there because he, for whatever reason, he wasn't going to travel to my side of the fence. Um, so I, I accumulated all the data and I was getting really excited. And, um, now, now, you know, we're, we're two days before the hunt and now I'm getting stressed out. I've been working I, I pull up on Thursday evening. Um, and there's just, 
outfitters and hunters <laughs> um, all over the place. And, uh, you know, it, it's a public land hunt, and it, it is what it is. But as a hunter, when you put so much time in, you can't help but get stressed out. Um, so Friday Friday comes along. Um, I run in. I, Which I would is only the day text, before the season? Yeah, day before the season. So okay. hunt starts Saturday. Um, Friday, Friday morning, we get up. We, you know, my brother and, and my cousin were there with me. We get up and we, we go on glass. We go and, you know, look around for what we can find. Um, I go into, uh, I, I would only go into the area where I was going to sit these blinds during the middle of the day just to minimize the chance of pushing a deer as I was walking in. Um, and when I would walk in, I would walk clear around like an extra mile. And then I wouldn't, I, I was so weird about it. I would make sure that you couldn't see my footprint because I didn't want anybody being able to follow me or know where I was at. So I would step on the sagebrush and just make sure that I was almost like I was non-existent. I get in to check my trail camera on Friday and the buck hasn't been there for He'd hit, he'd been there, he'd passed through on Tuesday, so he hadn't been there Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. So I thought, okay, perfect. <laughs> perfect, nobody's in here, it looks like. I'm, nobody knows I'm here. Um, he usually is three days, he's gone for three days, and then he'll show up for three days. So I go back, and, and we, we devise a plan, and um, we, you know, Friday night at midnight, I walked into the blind uh, the night before the hunt, walked in with, you know, with my bow and, and everything because I didn't want in the morning, I didn't want to be walking through at five o'clock in the morning and ha just that off chance of pushing, pushing the bucks or just leaving any sand. I just wanted to eliminate everything. Um, so I walked into the blind, spent the night in the blind, woke up Saturday and sat there for till noon and um, didn't even see a deer. <laughs> it, was so, it, was, it was so disheartening. I'm, I'm opening day on the Ponce and I, it's noon, and I haven't even seen a doe or a fawn. Um, so I, you know, retreated, retreated back to uh, base camp and sat down with, with my group of, of guys that were over there helping me. And they had found the big, heavy, non-typical that morning. So when I was sitting in the blind with no deer in front of me, they had the big, heavy, non-typical um, at 300 yards feeding. Oh. <laughs> so, so frustrating. So frustrating. So um, Saturday night, we, we um, went in and, and made a play on the heavy, non-typical and, and – um, the you know them for he's a phenomenal buck and i'm sure somebody's going to get him this year but there was two other hunters in the same area and it's not a very big area and and uh you know it was kind of cat and mouse you're trying to hunt a deer but you're also trying to uh you're you're dealing with other hunters and and outfitters and spotters and and um so it's a little bit jockey around a little bit yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard, and, and, and again, I've said it a thousand times, it's public land hunting, but it still is frustrating. <laughs> it's still yeah. disheartening. Um, so we went back Saturday night, um, we sat down as, you know, and, and kind of strategized. 
And we, you know, the, the, the big heavy non-typical buck is he's a scoring machine. He's a giant deer. And, um, I just looked at, looked at everyone. I said, I'm going to go back into the blind. I think tomorrow it's been, it's been four days. He hasn't gone more than four days since the middle of July. We looked at all the, you know, all the notes and everything that I'd taken on the deer and, and time frame. And I just said, I think he's going to be there tomorrow. And so again, Saturday night at midnight, I, I hoof it into the blind, um, get down and, and, um, you know, spend the night in the blind and, and wake up. And for the first, you know, first light at six fifteen, for the first two hours, nothing. And I, I remember thinking in my head, I'm so stupid. I could be hunting that other deer right now, <laughs> which is so your th- mind's just playing tricks with you. Yeah. Well, when you have a, you know, a two twenty buck that's, that's over here and you're thinking, Oh, I could be hunting that buck. Why am I sitting in this blind? I'm such an idiot. Um, you know, my, I, I have nothing going on there. I can't see any deer. My, I, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, are you willing to sit here in this blind until you make it happen? You know, you just ask yourself all these questions. And I looked up and here came, here comes the, there's a, a 184 point that has a cheater off his right side. It's about two inches. And he was always with the inline buck. And I was like, my, my heart just skipped a beat. And I was like, Oh my gosh, he's gotta be there. And, you know, a couple of seconds later, come walking down the hill here comes the inline buck um and they come you know they slowly make their way in and um they they stop he stops at about 30 yards and um i just i pulled back put the 30 yard pin on him he was quartered away a little bit um and just drilled him the the um Arrow went in behind like the second to last rib and came out right behind the front shoulder. And instantly I knew like, Oh my gosh, I just did it. And, um, I, I, I was like, just in shock. I couldn't believe like this, all this hard work and keeping these notes and learning this deer and his routine and, and the other deer that he runs with, it just all came together. And, um, he he took off and expired, you know, maybe 200 yards later and didn't make it very far. What was fun is when he was walking in, you know, he was right behind the 180 buck. And I knew, in my heart of hearts, I knew this was a giant deer. Um, be, but because of the way his frame is set up, you, you could easily make the case that it was, you know, maybe a 203 or a 204 buck. At the same time, you could say, man, he's going to push that 220 mark. And when he was walking in behind the 180 buck, I was, I was just like, oh, this is a giant deer. This deer is giant. He's bigger than I thought. And um, so when I, you know, the deer took off and expired, I jumped out of the blind. And I, as I was walking up to him, I, I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I just did something special. You know, as a bow hunter, for me, you know, mule deer are, are my passion. I love them. And, um, you know, to do something in that 200-inch mark is is tough. But I knew I had just crushed the 200-inch mark. Um, 
And he, <laughs> what did he end up scoring? He's right at two eighteen, maybe a little bit better than two eighteen. He's gonna be right. You know, he's he's giant. He's a he's a mega. He's got two. I'm look. I'm looking at a picture right now. He's got two like handlebar cheaters off, um, off each side. And then I I see why you called him the inline buck because it looks like on his right side, off his G2 he's got a fork, and off his G3 or not a fork, but like an inline off his two and his three. Right? Is that why you called him the? Yeah. Inline? So actually, he's got um, yeah, on his right side he's got an inline off his G2, and he's got an inline off his G3, and then on his left side he has an inline off his G3. And then on the back side, you can't see it real well in a lot of the photos, but on his G2 on his left side, he has another inline um, that kind of... Oh, I see that. that. I see that on that second photo here. Yeah, and then the um, off his G3 on both sides, he has... Um, on one side, it's a 5-inch, and on the other side, it's a 4-inch. They're basically handlebar kickers. I mean, they're ident- they come out of the same spot on the G3 on both sides. It's so cool. That is, it's an awesome looking deer. And um, uh, what kind of age did you estimate him at? And was his body size, uh, once you got up to him, was he quite a bit bigger body than you thought? Or, or, you know, was he fully, fully mature? Or do you think he was still young, just, just I mean, going in, going nutso? Or what was your thought? No, that's why That's why we were so confused on on the deer and when i say we there was about five guys that i even let see a picture of him (laughs) um but his body is so big so he's got a giant melon um and and he's got a huge body he's a six and a half year old deer but his base his bases are six inches but you don't see that because his head is so big wow yeah, he's a beautiful buck. I encourage the listeners to check it out. Uh, split Split Tine on it's uh, Split Tine on Instagram is Cody's uh, handle, and uh, there's several pictures of this buck. And um, looks like he made a great shot on him as well. Um, and he's got a lot of mass, doesn't he? Yeah, that's what when I walked up to him. That's what I couldn't believe. I knew he was long, but I couldn't believe the mass that he carried. Um, he's, he's very, he's actually a deer. Um, I would never strip the velvet cause I'm a true believer of, of it's all about the experience. It's not about necessarily the score. Um, I say that as we've been talking score the entire time. Um, but I would never strip the. Yeah, but it's more score from a reference. I know what you're saying. It's more score from a historical reference compared to other bucks. Not in in essence like oh, it's this buck and pound your chest. It's like this is what he is, and it it references him in relation to other bucks that have been harvested and trying to be accurate, right? Exactly. I mean that's that's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Um, his what you can't see in the photos is. Um, and what I, I didn't know when I walked up on him is his G2s, n- number one, they're both 20 inches long, which I've only been around one buck that had G2s that long. Um, but they're super bladed, and, and, and you can't see that in the photos. And I almost wish he was hardhorn because hardhorn you can see when a buck is, is really bladed, and with the velvet you can't see that, but he's, he's really bladed and heavy and... I mean, a, a buck of a lifetime for me. It's I'm still in that's stock and off. That's a phenomenal buck. Great story. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, 
Cody, are there any takeaways um, for people listening, uh, you know, things that you learned that you could share some advice, um, some wisdom being an archery mule deer hunter and, and a mule deer nut yourself? Like anything that you could give as, as a takeaway for the listeners out there to to remember maybe when they have similar situations or tags? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the number one thing I learned, um, and I've done the Wyoming high country and I've hunted in Utah and, and Idaho and all these different states is I couldn't go into this hunt thinking I was going to be, um, well, I guess the hashtag backcountry hunter or I needed to get eight miles away from the road or I needed to hike in or you need, I guess what I learned and what I'm saying is hunt the tag that you have. You know, if, if Right. This tag on the Ponsagon, my strategy was jump on the four-wheeler, glass as much as I can, cover as much country as I ha- can, utilize the trail cameras, and and utilize you know the public land that, that was available to me. Completely different than um, something you would do in another unit, uh, or you know something that's you know if you're in. Um, you know, the high country in Wyoming or somewhere, you know, Wasatch Front in Utah, something like that. So definitely hunt the tag that you have. <laughs> um, that, that, For sure. I think that's great advice. The, um, you know, obviously we talked a lot about it, but I got really intimate with um, patterning these deer. And not only did I pattern the deer, but I patterned, and, and this was the first time that I've ever done this. I patterned other hunters, or, or I knew who else was hunting in the area and tried to, um, I wouldn't say avoid them, but just tried to know where the other hunters were and what they may possibly do as far as bumping deer on the public land and what my deer, you know, the deer that I was targeting, what they might do once they are bumped by other hunters. So that was, you know, definitely something that as far as, keeping track of of the routine of the deer but also keeping track of of other hunters so that was that was an interesting one um mm-hmm. and then also you know make sure you know the big thing for me was the group of guys that I surround myself with um as far as hunters and people that I could rely on um and talk about, you know, approach areas. I was fortunate, um, you know, Garth Jensen went in with me to set up the blinds, and we sat there for a half an hour deciding, you know, with the wind and how the deer was moving around, where we were going to locate this blind and, and um, you know, really surrounding yourself with guys that want to see you be successful and, and um, help you achieve, your goals as far as, as hunting. Yeah, and also guys you can trust that, you know, aren't going to double cross you and, you know, tell somebody else about, you know, what you got going on. That's that's huge, don't you think? Oh, uh, and yeah, that, absolutely. That was the one thing I was so nervous about. Um, you know, these these type of tags with, with the amount of money um, that are thrown around with some of the guys that are able to buy the tags and, and the outfitters, you know, you you show them a picture of a, a, a two eighteen buck, and they'll possibly offer you five grand for the whereabouts. You know, for the location, and so definitely guys that I could send a photo to, and I knew they weren't going to 
send the photo to anybody else. I knew they weren't going to talk to anybody. I knew that it was just between us and I could bounce ideas off them. And, and I had, you know, confidence in, in them helping me out and not really hurting me. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's a phenomenal story. Congratulations on an amazing deer. Um, what do you have moving forward this fall? Uh, do you have any other hunts? Have you drawn anything? What's going on? Yeah, it was. I didn't have anything planned because I had really set aside 28 days to hunt deer on the Ponsagon. <laughs> um, and I tagged out on the second day. So I actually was fortunate and um, picked up a early this week picked up a muzzleloader tag off the leftover list in Colorado. So in September, uh, I'll be headed to the high country of Colorado for a muzzleloader hunt. And then um, my oldest son has his first hunt this year in October, mule deer hunt. And then November, I'm headed to Alaska. So busy, busy fall. Awesome. What are you going to be chasing in Alaska? Um, We're going to do blacktail. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I'm excited. A good group of guys that I'm going up there with, and um, I'm hoping this is my first trip to Alaska. I'm, I'm, my goal is to be in Alaska in the next three years in a row. So I want to do um, blacktail this year, caribou next year, and, and moose the year after that. So we'll see uh, if my wife will let me pull that off. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> That's my goal. Well, best the best of... Best of luck to you. It's nice to dream big, right? That's exactly right. You got to start somewhere. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, buddy, thanks so much for sharing the story. What a phenomenal deer, and congratulations on drawing a tag. And um, yeah, that's great. You'll be be able to go up to Colorado now and um, hunt with a muzzleloader. And I uh, just want to thank you for coming on the podcast here. And and uh, while you were at GoHunt.com working there, it was uh, nice always interacting with you. And uh, just wish you the best. And I encourage the listeners to check out Cody Steer uh, on his Instagram page. That's uh, Split Tine. Uh, and, um, yeah, thanks a lot. Oh, thank you, Jay. It's always, a, it's always fun to chat and sit down and talk a little hunting. That's, well, um, just an awesome story, and I'm glad you got a big one. And sounds like the Ponsagon is doing really well, and that's exciting to hear because I know for a handful of years it was kind of a touch and go, and, and it seems like every year it's just been getting a little bit better. And that's that's great news for deer hunters across uh, the United States. And um, like you said, it's, you know, it, it, it's awesome that the Game and & Fish and the BLM have been, you know, creating great habitat and, um, you know, I think they've been doing some predator control there uh, over the years, and um, you know, it's the deer bouncing back, so that's awesome. And uh, you were able to take advantage of it, so congratulations on that. And uh, with that, I'll let you go, and uh, thanks for your time. All right, thanks, Jay.